Welcome back, everybody. Um, I'm honored to, uh, to speak to an actor who I have been binging over the past uh, few weeks uh, on uh, Kim's Convenience. We're speaking with an actor, director, writer, and a uh, martial artist, which I'm really anxious to get into. Sujith, there it is. Uh, excuse me. Sujith, uh, we were talking about pronouncing your name correctly, and then at, the, at the take, I bombed it. So no Varigese. Uh, it's like Portuguese. Varigese Portuguese. That's what I... Perfect. It makes perfect sense. And before that, I tried it out at least a, a few times, and it was perfect. But usually when they say action, then boom, you, you ruin that take. But, that's, that's why we have take two. Yes, but we're going to go with it, because I think, uh, I think that's reality, and uh, uh, I, I want to deal with reality as much as possible. So. Well, you oh, know, it's not your fault. I have the world's worst show business name, but it's mine. I don't think so. I don't think so. And uh, you know, both you and I are immigrants. So uh, I came into yes. uh, I came into the United States with the name of Konstantin Manoylenko. When uh, you know my ESL teacher looked at it, she said no. And then she <laughs> said, "Okay, here's the American version of it, and we're going to go with that." So um, yeah, I, I I know what that's like. Um, at some point, as a matter of fact, and this is out, out of this uh, you know uh, kind of discussion, but a fun story is. I was such a fan of, uh, of Arnold uh, <clears throat> growing up uh, that when, uh, you know, after six years uh, we were getting our citizenship, uh, they said, you can switch your last name to whatever you want. And I seriously considered switching my last name to Schwarzenegger. I wanted to be, you know, Konstantin Schwarzenegger. Fortunately, uh, I didn't do that. Otherwise, that would have been uh, much more difficult to deal with now. Um, okay, so um, I also wanted to apologize on one thing, uh, aside from mispronouncing your last name is I, when we started talking, I initially said that I saw you on Kim's Convenience, and that's how I know you. That actually is inaccurate, because I saw you for the first time on my third favorite drama of all time, uh, Suits. I saw you uh -huh. in 2016. You had a couple of uh, episodes where you were uh, on the show. Um, I was a judge. I'm, I was a, you know, Suits is an interesting show, because the judges were like a little rep company of judges and whenever they needed a judge they'd uh, give one of us a call so I was on I think I was in in season six and season eight yeah you, the two episodes absolutely um, it's it's interesting and uh, we'll, we'll come back to suits in a second but uh, well actually I wanted to uh, to ask because you know I, I you know binge suits suits I loved uh, or actually no I didn't binge it because I started watching from season two and once caught up I had to be waiting when my family was finally introduced to it, and then it, <laughs> they were binging it. <clears throat> and um, it took a little while for my wife to understand why I love uh, some of the characters. But um, on a Suits, and I know it was, uh, it was shot in Toronto, so I know a lot of uh, Canadian actors were on it. Um, when you were told, hey, you're going to be on Suits, and you're going to be wearing robes, <laughs> was there a little bit like, oh, come on, I didn't get a suit out of this? Well, actually, they fitted me for suits, uh, for actual suits. They have, there's, there's two suits that they fit them, and they're gorgeous uh -huh. suits. And I actually was on a show on uh, Stars in the U.S. Uh, called The Girlfriend Experience, yep. where I did have a lot of suits. And, and the guy who fitted me is a, is a genius tailor in Toronto. That they, he does, the, you know, he's like the suit maker to the stars uh, on yeah. the television here. And so, you know, we met again when he was doing the suits suits. <laughs> and so I did have some wonderful suits and under the robes, I'm wearing some great clothes. 
and in fact, when the show ended, they were selling off all the wardrobe and they were selling uh, Judge Howard's, uh, I think that was my character's name, suit. I think so. Um, though, I, I don't know how you would buy it because it would only fit me, you know, it was altered for me, but yeah. I guess somebody out there has my suit. Well, okay. If if uh, if they know, we'll we'll make sure that we'll link to it. Maybe somebody will respond <laughs> and say, "Here it is." Um, okay. So um, the other aspect that, that that I found interesting is that when I started binging Kim's Convenience, um, and uh, Frank uh, came in, I immediately yeah. recognized his voice. I couldn't understand why because I didn't recognize his face right away, but I immediately recognized the voice. And then I had to stop. I had to go back and uh, kind of figure out that yes, he was Donna's uh, dad. That's how I know him. Um, uh, uh, Frank is played by Derek McGrath. Yes, wonderful. And he, was, he goes back, he was on Seinfeld. My goodness, I yeah, don't remember. Yeah, yeah, no, he, he was on Seinfeld. But I worked with, I mean, Derek's a wonderful guy. I, I worked with him. There's another TV sitcom that came out of Canada a few years ago called Little Mosque on the Prairie, mm -hmm. which was about a, a, a Muslims on in a little small town in Saskatchewan, and uh, uh, Frank uh, or sorry, Derek was one of the series leads in that uh, show for three seasons. So that's when I first worked with with Derek, and now I haven't had a scene with him on Kim's Convenience yet, but we pass each other in the dressing rooms. <laughs> well, please uh, give him my regards. I think he's wonderful. And, yeah, he's a fantastic uh, actor. Uh, obviously, has a has a has a very distinctive voice, which I immediately recognize. Um, the thing that startled me the most is you and I, uh, you know, started talking yesterday and I know you from, you know, I thought just Kim's convenience. And then, um, as I started doing research and kind of getting uh, ready for the interview, I saw that you're an award-winning writer. You are a, uh, actor, prolific actor with a hundred plus credits uh, to his name. You're a director. You've been in all of these things and I didn't know about you. And that part was uh, a little frustrating, but is that, yeah, I, I heard you say in an interview once that, you know, acting in Canada is a little bit like being in a witness protection program, which made me chuckle. And it took me back for a second because I thought... Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm only partially kidding. You know, um, Canada is a small country. Uh, we service American television. We shoot a lot of American television up here, but we do our, also our own shows. But... Um, Canadians are not very, I mean, their stars are the big U.S. stars just as much as in the U.S. So, you know, in Canada, I mean, I can walk around on the street and get on the streetcar and the subway and nobody notices. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's a much more, um, quote unquote, normal lifestyle, I suppose. It's true. It's true. But thankfully, with uh, now with the streaming services and with NBC picking up another show that you're in, uh, uh, Transplant, finally we're starting to get to see some of the wonderful work that's being done. I discovered Sheets Creek the same way. I wouldn't right. have heard about it unless it was for streaming services, and thank God, because I love that show. Uh, well, so, so much of, I would say in the last two, three years, things have changed tremendously in terms of uh, um, public profile because of streaming. Um, I, I have, uh, because Kim's Convenience gets shown on streaming services around the world now on Netflix, yeah. you know, my cousins, my cousins in India get to see me. They never used to see me. You know, they heard that I worked in television in <laughs> Canada, but they've never seen anything I've done for 30 years. 
now they're watching Kim's Convenience shortly after it's on in Canada. Uh, uh, and, you know, I get fan tweets from Malaysia and Australia and, you know, this is, this is a, a whole new thing for, uh, for somebody working out of uh, Canada. It's, it's interesting, again, because we're so close. I'm in the U.S., uh, so I think I know Canada, and obviously I didn't know very much. Uh, I know lots of Canadian actors who obviously I know because they've been in all of the American productions. Um, I know things are shot in Canada. I tried to submit myself for some of those things, and I quickly realized that I couldn't because I don't live in Ottawa. I don't live in Toronto. I am not Canadian. And uh, I think you have some quotas of Canadian, certain number of Canadian actors have to be present in every production. Is that true? Well, no, no, that, it doesn't work quite like that. It okay. depends on the depends on the production. For instance, um, I'm in the new season, upcoming season of a show called The Expanse, which is a big science fiction show on uh, yeah, Amazon. Amazon. Yeah. And uh, uh, they can hire anybody they want uh, mm -hmm. because they're basically shooting in, in Canada because they want to shoot in Canada, but they're not using any Canadian tax incentives or that kind of thing. If you use if you use that, if you use the tax credits and the Canadian tax incentives and that kind of stuff, then you do have to have a certain amount of money that is spent on Canadian production and Canadian talent and Canadian. But if you don't, if you just come here and have your production, you you can hire anybody you want. Um, and then, of course, Canadian content is has to be strictly Canadian, but they're also getting incentives and things uh, from uh, uh, in order to qualify for Canadian content. They get tax credits as a result. So, yeah, it all depends on um, where the money comes from. Good. But I think at least there is a way or a mechanism uh, to get more Canadian actors into all of these productions, which is great. Well, I mean, a Canadians would say, would argue that the best way for a Canadian to get cast in Canada is to move to LA. Um, because that's, that's often, yeah, no, that's often what happens is that, well, I mean, most of my colleagues have moved to Los Angeles and then get uh, better parts in the Canadian, in, in shooting in Canada. But for, for American shows and even Canadian shows, uh, I mean, that's just the reality of, of the business is that the perception is, you know, if you're any good, you'd be in LA. And so uh, Canadian resident performers of all, I mean, you asked why, yeah. you know, it's a witness protection program. Well, that's why um, the, the perception, and I'm just being very honest with you, the, the perception, you. the perception of by both American or prime U.S. primetime and Canadian uh, uh, casting is that, you know, the real talent is in LA. And if they can't afford to bring somebody from LA, um, then they'll they'll look at uh, the Canadian talent. I mean, I think there are lots of exceptions to that rule in terms of you know talent casting directors in both countries who don't believe that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But but as a as a kind of uh, stereotype um, that we've been fighting that, uh, and you know I have I'm I'm a member of the union here too, uh, the acting union. In the U.S., it's called SAG, Screen Actors Guild, ACTRA. In Canada, it's called ACTRA. And uh, it's one of our issues, which is, you know, uh, uh, why do people have to move to L.A. to get cast in Canada? Uh, but, and there is, there, is a, a, um, there is a reality to that uh, perception that we've been 
facing most of our most of my professional life anyway. It's it's strange. It, it echoes a little bit of what we have in Chicago. I'm in Chicago, so uh, you know we have a lot of shows uh, that are done in Chicago. A lot of uh, Dick Wolf shows. Right, and it's the same thing. You probably yeah. have to move to LA to get cast in a show in Chicago. Yeah, LA or New York. Otherwise, uh, right. the types of uh, roles that we're able to get here are you know. It'll be the one. Line, it'll be the one line part that is not worth flying somebody in for. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and that it doesn't really matter, and you know that kind of thing. So I, I think that the the, um, the the struggles that Chicago actors uh, face in that regard are e equivalent to what we face. It may be a different level because yeah. you're just dealing with Chicago shot shows. We're dealing with everything that's shot in in, uh, in Canada. But I think the the issue is the same. And uh, well, I'm hoping with, uh, you know, the streaming services and more things being shown right now, that'll change because I think that's ridiculous. Well, I mean, Chicago's got one of the great acting communities mm -hmm. in, in North America, yeah. uh, a lot of whom work only on stage and outside Chicago, nobody's heard of them. Yep. And these are, these are people who could, you know, go on to Broadway or wherever without without any, you know, I, I went to drama school in the States. I did my undergraduate degree in theater at the University of Minnesota, Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. And one of the guys I went to school with, uh, it was, you know, I'm old. And uh, he was uh, he, he was a graduate student. I was an undergraduate, but we were taking the same directing class together. And, and he said, yeah, these friends of mine and I started a theater company in Chicago last summer. And then I decided to take a year off to do my graduate degree. I said, oh yeah, what's the name of the company? Uh, it's called Steppenwolf. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's, uh, and all of those people, you know, we don't, we don't know about them. I mean, unless they become John Malkovich, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so I think that's, that's the, that's the reality of an arts career outside the, outside LA and New York. You're going to be treat, you know, perceived as, like I said, witness protection program. Yeah. The kind of the idea here in Chicago, from what I've uh, gathered, and I am not at the point where I even have a co-star credit. You know, I've done a lot of uh, indies and shorts, uh, but the idea is you kind of have to be in all of the shows here at certain level, co-star, maybe guest star. And then once you've kind of saturated that market, if you will, then you go to LA or New York. So uh, that's... Well, that's right. And, and when, I was, when I was studying in Minneapolis, you know, Minneapolis is a great theater center yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, some of, you know, the t like one of the top actors at the Guthrie, I remember when I was there, who was playing leading roles at the Guthrie Theater his whole career, mm -hmm. had to decide whether to move to LA or New York and start all over again, because he had no profile outside Minneapolis, and he wasn't getting considered for anything but, you know, I mean, he w it was fine to be at the Guthrie, but you know what I mean, to expand your artistic horizons, he needed, he wanted to be considered for shows on Broadway or or movies, and uh, he wasn't going to be getting that, staying as the star of the Guthrie Theater, which is one of the great theaters of the country. Yeah, it's it's strange, but hopefully more and more things are changing and people are getting more visible with uh, ability to create your own content or just put anything on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> this show, they're right there. But um, hopefully that allows uh, people a chance to be seen and appreciated for what they're doing. Um, I wanted to dive into uh, into uh, some other aspects of, of your life. You're an immigrant. You were born in India and you came with your parents uh, to Canada. How old were you when you came here? Well, I, I, I'm really the son of immigrants. Okay. Uh, my, my family came to Canada when I was a year old. So 
so I, you know, I didn't have to, I didn't have to learn a new culture. I, this, this, you know, growing up in Canada, being Canadian was my culture. Uh, but the issues about being the, the son of Im an immigrant family and, you know, my name, my skin color, my sense of belonging, all of that stuff, I, I wear that on my sleeve for sure. Were, uh, when, you, when you got here, uh, you know, obviously you were, you were a child, but as you started growing up, were there a lot of, uh, you know, people who are, you know, of similar ethnic background uh, to you uh, in the same areas? No, no. When my family came, um, and particularly where we settled, we settled in the prairies in a, in a city called Saskatoon, mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, probably halfway around the world to the degree of longitude from where I was born in India. Uh, and I, yeah, no, I was the only brown kid in my school. I was the only brown kid in my high school. Um, as far as I can remember, maybe there was one other, I, I, you know, but, but, but you know, I, I didn't, I didn't uh, have fellow um, members of my, my, uh, you know, cultural background to hang with. And I didn't have role models of my cultural background to say, oh, I want to be like them when I grow up. So there's a real, um, there's a real schizophrenia uh, growing up because you're kind of brown on the outside and what are you on the inside and how are you, how are you learning how to belong when whatever you do, you're never going to be white. You know what I mean? And, and, and it was a real challenge and struggle for me growing up to, to get over that want, desire, you know, wanting to be like everybody else and knowing that I never could be uh, and that being okay. And, and that was a, that was a real, it's been a, I mean, I think that's what's fueled my artistic life. Is that, is that tension? Is, is that, when did you make the decision that you wanted to go into entertainment? I know your family is, is doctors. Uh, um, Indian family, we're all doctors. My dad was a doctor. My grandfather was a doctor. I have an uncle who was a doctor, two cousins who were, who were doctors. Uh, I actually uh, was the first pre-med drama double major at my wow. my first university, which was in Saskatchewan. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I hadn't made a decision to try and pursue the arts professionally. I kind of followed my nose via education in that I was interested in, you know, I was always doing stuff when I was in school and creative drama and the high school musical and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, uh, and so when I went into university, I assumed I would apply for medical school someday. So I did tick off pre-med as my undergraduate major, but I also knew I wanted to study theater and Shakespeare and the American novel or whatever. And so I hedged my bet in terms of my education. Um, and it was only uh, after a couple of years of university that I realized I'd really like to do this. But again, I had no role models at the time that said, okay, you could have a career in the arts being a brown guy in North America or being a brown guy in Canada. Uh, I mean, when I transferred from my uh, original university to the University of Minnesota, I was still the only brown guy. Uh, you know, I was doing, I remember I was in um, a production of uh, No Place to Be Somebody, which is a famous black American play. Mm -hmm. and And the director had run out of, black actors to be in it. And so 
<laughs> you know, I was, he had to cast me. And I played, I remember I played a character called Machine Dog, who is the blackest, most militant. He was a ghost figure. I, you know, he was like a Black Panther on steroids, you know? And I mean, I was way over my head trying to play that part. You know what I mean? Like that's, yeah, that's yeah. that kind of, um, I mean, it was a good challenge in terms of my artistic growth, but I don't know if it was quote unquote appropriate. Um, but you know, that was what we were, that was what he was facing in, in Minnesota at the time. Interesting. Um, so, you know, I, I just think that, that um, it's, it's, um, I don't know what to say. Like I, you know, this is a, this is a tension in, in how I decided whether to do this professionally. I don't know if I've still decided whether I'm going to do this professionally. <laughs> you know, it's just something that evolved. Um, I, I mean, I, I wasn't, you know, I started as a writer. And the reason I started as a writer was I didn't think I could have a career as an actor because I didn't see any brown actors on stage. Uh, I didn't see them on movies and TV shows growing up. So how could I project myself into that? Uh, so I didn't, I didn't plan on being an actor. I wanted to break into film and television. Um, I didn't have an uncle who was a movie producer. I didn't have a movie camera. Uh, all I had was a typewriter. I mean, this, this is how long ago. And uh, so I, I read a couple of screenplays that I could find. Back then, you, there was nothing online. Online didn't exist. I found a few paperback copies of screenplays in a bookstore in Minneapolis, and I read them, and then I wrote a little script based on my experience uh, working in a meatpacking plant one summer. And, uh, and, and I used that script um, to get into graduate film school in Toronto. And that script actually got read by one of my profs who turned out to be a producer at the CBC, which is our public broadcaster. And he was producing a TV series. And he said, why don't you look at the pilot and if, uh, you know, think of an idea for an episode, uh, just as a joke. And I came in and I did. And then the, his, his producer on the show liked the idea and they hired me to write the episode. And that's how I broke in. Um, and I planned only to be a writer. And then my second or third project was a TV movie for the CBC that uh, was a comedy about an Indo-Canadian guy. And back then there were no actors of Indo-Canadian background. Uh, they actually flew the producer and director to LA to try and find somebody. And they found somebody whose name was Howie Mandel. And I went, <laughs> what? And they hired a makeup person to paint Howie Mandel brown. This is before Howie Mandel was even famous. And they auditioned him. And, and thankfully, they said, that's eh, not a good idea. So at that point, the film was going to be canceled. The whole thing was going to be over. So I begged them before they canceled the movie, let me have a chance at auditioning. Uh, having only acted in drama school and one play outside drama school, and they allowed me to audition. I got the part. And so that's how I started acting. And, uh, and I've had sort of two parallel careers since then, acting and writing television mostly. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, lately, in the last 10, 12 years, it's primarily acting. Uh, but, you know, like I said, I hadn't planned on being an actor. And here I am. That's, it's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. That's amazing how things work, even uh, when you think it's just on a whim or on a joke. Uh, because you never know who's reading it. Um, it's great. Uh, when I, I'm still trying to figure out how um, how you are 
immigrant uh, doctor parents allowed you to be in the entertainment industry? Well, I, I, again, I think because I had enough success early on okay. you know, as a writer, I was, still in, I was still in graduate school when I wrote that first script for CBC. Yeah. I think they were going, oh, okay, this is great. Not knowing that you don't get to do that every day. I was, I was kind of a lucky break. Uh, but then, um, you know, for the first few years, I was very lucky. I, I got a chance to write for the Muppets. I, I was one of the original writers of the series Fraggle Rock. And so, you know, in the first uh, 10 years of my professional life, I was fairly successful as a writer. And, uh, and I think that got my family through the hump. Um, and then, of course, you know, it's an arts career is a is a rocky road and I, I hit the bumps after the, after Fraggle Rock ended but but uh, you know over time they saw that for what it's worth I was I was able to manage uh, the funny thing was that when I turned 30 my father turned to my mother and he because he always wanted me to be a heart surgeon he was a brain surgeon okay heart, sur heart surgeons are the rock stars of medicine right and uh, and he apparently turned to my mother and said oh He'd be just finishing his residency now, <laughs> you know. And then the last time I was in India, I stayed with my dad's first cousin. So they're the same age. Yeah. And he says to me, you know, when your father was a boy, he wanted to be a film star. Aha! <laughs> <laughs> uh Aha! -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> so maybe my dad got to live a little vicariously through me and uh, that made up for all the insecurities. Yeah, when when I told my parents, and you know, um, I spent the first 14 years in Ukraine, and the first 14 years, I was sure that I was going to be an actor because that's all I wanted to do, and that was going to be my path. I already started talking to people about who were older than me, who were going to uh, go and uh, get education in it, and then we moved to the United States. And I told my parents, I'm still planning to be an actor. They said, Look, you have the nose of Dustin Hoffman, but he's a better actor. Get a career. Uh, <laughs> and I, I harsh harsh yeah, yeah. well yeah. again indian parents jewish parents you know they they get straight <laughs> to the point they tell yeah. what they think um and i struggled and i i took a huge detour because i went into it and hr while still trying to act and take classes in the middle and you know everything kind of got uh, got up until i finally decided uh, a number of years ago that you know whatever it is i'm doing for money and i still do it and hr uh, I'm, my heart is acting and I'm going to continue doing it. And if something happens with it, then at some point, maybe it'll become a career. If not, I'm still going to continue doing it as much as I can because I can't not do it. So, um, well, I mean, I, I've always said that if I didn't get paid to do what I, I do, I would pay to do it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, exactly. how, that's how sick it, it is, you know, being an artist, you know, it's not, uh, it's not for the faint of heart, and it's and it's about not having a choice. You know, I, I talk about being an actor or being a writer or whatever. It's a calling. It's like being choosing to become a priest or a monk or something. You know, it's regardless of what it would pay. I mean, I think there are people who aspire to it or or, or even try to do it because they want to be a star and and they see it as some kind of you know that part of it. Um, and maybe they'll be lucky and that's what happens to them. I mean, 99.99% don't become stars. Um, and the 1%, and I consider myself the 1% who have careers, uh, you know, it's, it's not about being a star. It's about, it's about being an artist, right? And that's your job. And uh, hopefully you'll make a living at it. 
But even if you don't make a living at it, you can't help doing it. Yeah. Yeah. My, my wife once uh, asked me when I was, uh, you know, I live in the suburbs of Chicago and uh, I did a, um, I did a short film, which I loved. Uh, I did it for free and uh, we were shooting overnight. So I had to, you know, get in my car after my family went to sleep. I had to drive to downtown Chicago, do the overnight shoot, go back home, try to get some sleep, work, and then do it again the next day. And my wife looked at me like I'm insane saying, why are you doing this? And I said, because I have to, it's, it's who I am. And I love every moment of it. Uh, no matter how ridiculous uh, it sounded, it's just you either are or you're not. That's, that's as much as I can explain it. Um, I mean, that, that said, uh, uh, my, what, I've, what I urge people, who, as young people especially, is, is you know, learn, learn to manage your artistic career as a career. Yeah. You know, don't, don't be like um, hoping for the best. You know, it is, it is a business and you have to understand financial literacy and you have to, you know, pay attention to all of that stuff. Otherwise, it's going to be a very, um, you're going to have a tough time. You're going to have a tough time. You just know that you're going to have a tough time, but learn how to manage that tough time fiscally responsibly. Um, that's as much about being an artist and surviving in the arts as, you know, having talent. And the other kind of uh, realization that I had, I don't know if, uh, you know, uh, you feel the same way, but um, I learned uh, initially I kind of, uh, you know, I had my, you know, thriving IT consulting business and I got to a point where I was very comfortable and then I had that kind of, uh, you know, hopefully not a midlife because that's way too early crisis <laughs> where I said, okay, I'm done. I'm taking the next number of years and I'm going to act and I'm going to write and I'm going to do a lot of these things. And I started doing that and then it became, um, because you're not going to get that level of success, it became a chore and acting and money started pushing onto it. So the second go around that I'm doing right now, I have my consulting business. And I specifically created it in a way to allow myself to have enough time to audition and to do things that I want. And I still have my business. So now when I'm acting, it has no money on it at all. Whether I'm getting paid, not getting paid, I just took kind of the financial um, expectations out of it and I'm doing it just for me. If it works, beautiful. If I get paid, great. But I'm not doing it because I need to earn something from acting. Well, I, I mean, I, I would love to be in that position, but once, you know, once as it, well, if you're in the union, there's no choice. You don't have an option. You got to pay me. And I'm, I'm grateful uh, for that because uh, I'd rather make a living uh, at it than not. But I understand, uh, you know, where everybody's going to be at a different level in their, in their careers and in their process. And, you know, you, everybody has to manage the way they manage. You know, some people, even uh, experienced professionals who've had serious uh, jobs, have to, you know, have secondary jobs once in a while. And and there's no there's no shame in that. That's about being a professional too. Uh, in my case, I was lucky because I diversified as an as an artist. So if I wasn't writing, I was acting, and if I wasn't acting, I was writing, and both, you know, for money in some way or I got a directing job or whatever. And so because I had multiple um, streams of, of, uh, of uh, skill sets, 
uh, you know, I, I, I haven't had to have a second, haven't had, sorry, haven't had to have had a second job in my, in my career, but some years are a lot worse than others. And, you know, you have to learn to bank your money. Yeah. Um, is that, if we're talking about the secret uh, of your, uh, of your success and longevity, would that be it? The diversification? Uh, I, I would, I would give diversification a lot of credit. Yeah. That, that enabled me to survive. Uh, you know, as I said, I started as a writer yeah. um, and, uh, and I continued as a writer even when I started acting um, and I still write, um, though the acting has kind of taken over in the last few years. But uh, yeah, diversification is, is kind of how I was able to have a career in the arts. Good. Thank you. That's, that's a very, um, very important thing to mention for everybody and make sure that people hear it and not just, you know, be laser focused and then uh, crush. Um, let's talk about your acting approach. Um, the, the part that I really enjoyed, again, going back to Kim's Convenience, because that's fresh in my mind uh, from binging every episode for the, uh, of the last four seasons. Um, every time your character, uh, uh, Mr. Meta, um, was coming on, I really was looking forward to it because I love the way he speaks. And I love the, the verbal uh, uh, kind of jousting that's going on between him and Abba. And I love your comedic timing. So to me, it was always the, probably the most fun character that I looked forward to seeing all the time. Um, how, how is it uh, playing him for you? Uh, is, is it enjoyable? Because you're a writer, you're a director. So I'm sure well, your, your brain is looking at it. Okay, well, there's two, two things I could say about playing um, Mr. Meta on Kim's Convenience. Yeah. First, I swear to God, on my mother's, she's still alive, God bless her, uh, soul, I'm not trying to be funny. Okay? Uh, regardless of whether the part was comedic or whether the part is drama or whatever, I'm not trying to be funny and I'm not trying to be dramatic in that case. I'm just trying to be truthful. Okay. Okay. I have to rely on the writing to do the heavy lifting in terms of what's funny and what's not funny. I mean, I will take credit for timing and I will take credit for delivery, but without the, the, the text itself being funny, there's nothing I can do to make it funny. I mean, I can probably add some shtick to it but I know that I'm standing on thin ice. In our case, in the case of Kim's Convenience, the writing is tremendous. Mm -hmm. The material is so good that I just have to show up almost. I mean, that's how I feel anyway. Now, you know, there's a lot of things I, I think I bring to the craft of playing Mr. Meta. For instance, you talk about his voice. Well, uh, that vocal delivery is based on a couple of people I know. Uh, uh, my spouse's boss speaks in that way. He's not Indian, but he has a way of, you know, there's occasionally when Mr. Mehta sort of shouts a word out, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. that, I, that I stole from him. Uh, uh, you know, he speaks with an accent because he's an immigrant, but I've played immigrant characters who speak with accents before. And if you listen to those characters, like the character I played on Little Mosque on the Prairie was also an Indian immigrant with an accent but he came from a different class, a different background than Mr. Meta does. So the accent wasn't the same. Uh, Mr. Meta's accent, 
there's a <laughs> there's a famous Indian restaurateur in Canada uh, who I know personally. His name is Vikram Bitch, and I kind of copied a bit of his accent because it's it's a kind of erudite, uh, high class kind of accent, you know, educated and posh, and and I wanted that to be his accent, not a, a working class, um, you know, guy who's who's you know just trying to trying to get along. Uh, Mr. Mehta comes with a different, different attitude. And I thought that, uh, uh, you know, so I bring that to it. The other thing that I've always felt is important, and, I, and this is pure craft stuff, um, knowing how a character walks. If I know how a character walks, if I can figure that out, and I know it's not a, it's not a, a big thing, it's a very little thing, but somehow being comfortable in the, in the movement of a character, being comfortable in the voice of a character, once I nail that for myself, um, the acting kind of takes care of itself. You know, like like my approach has always been that acting, writing, directing, they're all the same job. The job is storytelling. And if you understand story, then you just apply the principles of storytelling to whichever job in the storytelling process you're, you you have. So as a writer, your storytelling, you, know, you have to understand what a story is. You have to know, you know, the principles of story, story structure, uh, how to execute in terms of scenes and dialogue. That's on paper. Uh, a director is a storyteller, you know, behind the camera or with the camera. And he has to understand what matters and what doesn't matter so that he's aiming the camera in the right direction. Uh, the actor is in front of the camera telling the story. And if I don't understand the story, if I don't know what story means as an actor, there's no way I can act it, uh, at least as far as I'm concerned. It's, and, and it's because I was a writer, it's because I was a director, that I think I bring a certain um, skill set to being an actor that's in the same arena. And that enables me to be not just a quote-unquote good actor, but a useful because the job that all of these departments have, acting, directing, writing, editing, cinematography, makeup, uh, lighting, every one of those jobs is telling the story. And every one of those jobs requires the person doing them to understand the story. Because the makeup artist is telling the story through how they do the makeup. The wardrobe designer, like I often go into fittings and, and they're really interesting for me because I have a creative conversation with the costume designer in terms of the story and how are we telling the story through the, through the wardrobe? Uh, and are we telling the story through the wardrobe? And I get really annoyed with designers who just sort of have gone to the store and dressed and got some clothes. And some do, you know, and, and I really push them and say, look, I want, what my what I'm wearing to be part of this like if I'm dressed the let the, the better I'm dressed in terms of telling the story the less acting I have to do yeah the uh, better the yeah. set the better the set is I mean you haven't seen transplant uh, yeah. but this is this other hospital this is a hospital show that I'm in mm -hmm. Kim's convenience is the number one comedy in Canada and transplant is the number one drama on Canadian television and I'm in both of them, so I'm very lucky. Nice but, but Transplant is a big show set in a hospital, and our set, which is in Montreal, is on a soundstage, and this set is jaw-dropping. I mean, it is, as far as you can tell, a real hospital. I've been on a lot of sets in my career. You walk around the corner, and you see it's a set. You know, the wall is fake, and there's a sandbag holding it up, and all that kind of stuff. 
on our set in uh, Montreal on Transplant, you feel like you're in a real hospital. The walls don't move. The floor is real. The ceiling's there. Mm-hmm. And uh, other than, you know, you can eventually find a door and goes outside and you realize, oh, we're in a soundstage. You feel like you're in a hospital. So when you've got that level of reality yeah. as yeah. an actor to be in, you don't have to, you don't have to act as much, which is good, right? The less acting, quote unquote, you do, and the more being, the more reacting you are able to uh, do as an actor, the better. And I think getting back to Kim's Convenience, when you talked about, okay, you enjoy seeing Mr. Meta show up, I think it's because of all of that. I think it's a combination of really good material, uh, uh, you know, a really clear character that I've invented through the way I walk and the way I speak and, um, and, 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 and an ease as a result of not quote unquote acting, but just trying to be truthful. And, uh, and, and I think that's why it works. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. It actually is, is a lot of uh, extremely useful information um, because you know, we're taught many different methods on how you can put yourself in the life of somebody else and how to be uh, truthful in that. And uh, it's very easy to get lost in it. And, and, and I know what you're talking about, and, I, and it infuriates me because I think acting training has taken on a life of its own that has very little to do with the reality of being a professional actor. Yep. <laughs> uh, very few of the pros that I work with have much good to say about all of that kind of stuff that you're talking about mm-hmm. in terms of actor training and all that. I mean, it may be an interesting exercise to do as a student, um, but it's not practical in a real professional situation. It just, nobody does that stuff. So if you were to say, in addition to what you just uh, were describing as your approach, what would be the practical aspects that you would recommend for a real working actor? Well, first of all, understand the material. Mm-hmm. Understand the material from inside out. So that means it, it is better for an actor to read um, as many plays as they can so that they learn what story is and what structure is and what it is the, the, you know, what their job is in terms of that character within that story. You know, so I remember when I was directing kids, uh, I did a lot of kids television and, <clears throat> and uh, I would give them an exercise to do as homework, uh, which they really enjoyed. And I said, look, for every one of your scenes, I want you to on the left side of the page, which is blank, I want you to write the answers to three questions. What just happened? How do I feel? What do I want? And I want you to write one word answers for each of those questions. Mm -hmm. So that whenever we do that scene, you can look at that left side of your page and ask, remind yourself, what just happened? Okay, my mother got mad at me. How do I feel? Uh, I feel sad. What do I want? I want comfort. Okay, so now you can walk into that scene and with all the chaos of film production where somebody's fitting with your face and somebody's moving you around and you're giving you a mark and you're 12 years old on, a, you know, on your first kid's TV show and you got an idiot like me directing you, you don't have to get uh, lost in that because you know the answers. To, all you have to do is remember the answers to those questions. Uh, what just happened? Oh, my mother got mad at me. How do I feel? Sad. 
What do I want? Comfort. And no matter what you do, then the, then the acting of it comes out of that, right? It comes out of a very clear, simple intention. I want comfort. And, and the text may be uh, you, you know, coloring a book. Maybe that's the shot of, of the kid coloring a, in a coloring book. But the kid is going to, the actor is going to be coloring that book with that intention in mind. And the camera will see that. And that's the truth, right? Um, if you try to do more than that, uh, you're going to then get on, outside yourself. You're going to get in your head. And it's going to be false. And the camera can see falseness really quickly. So uh, I think it's about being truthful and getting under the skin of the material enough so that you can play a very clear, simple intention. Because we go through our lives, we're not complicated, you know, double thinking everything that we do. We just show up and be. And I think that's how you need to be going into a scene. And, and as I said, that's why I rely on things like the text, the costume, the lighting, the wardrobe. That's, you know, the, the set design. That's got to do a lot of the work because I'm going to be doing as little acting as I can in order to be truthful. Because acting, and, and you know what I mean when I say acting. I mean being, I mean being phony and false and yeah. outside yourself. I, I want to be genuine and true and real inside myself. And, and I do everything I can uh, to strip away all the, all the crap and, and, and allow that to happen. So that, especially in film and television, what happens is I end up doing something I couldn't repeat. I didn't know I was going to do it. Yeah. I was just in the moment. Yep. Right? Thankfully, we're filming it. So they got it. But then the director comes up to me and says, oh, do that again. I said, what? I don't know what I did. I was just in the moment, you know. I hope you had the camera on. Yeah. I mean, I will do. I will do it again, but I can't guarantee repeating it because I wasn't trying to do something the first time. I was being right in the moment with that text. You know, I was hitting my mark and all of those technical things, but the you know the, all those kinds of things. And and it's it's. I mean, I know what directors are saying when they want that because they want the other angle and they liked it so much and all that. And I will try and I'll tr do the best I can. Yeah. But I'm also pointing out to them that I'm not faking it, right? So you 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 know you can't you can't sort of you you have to be you have to be playing your A game because I'm playing my A game. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And uh, um, again, we get by we I'm going to say you know people like myself uh, we get so much into the mechanical aspects and we get into our head and we get into, okay, well, what did I do on this day? Because now we have to do another 15 takes and then we have to change the shot and then we have to do this. So not only do I have to remember my lines, I have to remember, and you go through all of that and it takes you out of it and it takes real mental uh, kind of uh, energy uh, draining uh, process to get yourself back. So I mm -hmm. love what you're saying. Uh, because it removes that and it gets it down to a very simple thing <laughs> before every take is, you know, it's simple. It's simple. Yeah. I'm not saying it's easy. You're right. But that's why it's doable. It's repeatable because, yeah. because it's, well, no, it's simple. So you can, uh, you can aspire to that, 
Whereas it's not complex, it's not complicated, it's not, you know, and so, but I, I'm not going to say that it's easy. I'm, don't, don't, don't confuse simple and easy. Right. It is right. simple. It's not necessarily easy. Yeah. Uh, repeatable in a sense where before every take, you can just remember, okay, what are my three things? And then it's repeatable. Right. So you can yeah. get into that habit. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it means that you're not, you're not injecting crap into the scene. Yeah you know, to make it work. You're just, you're allowing the scene to unfold with you in it. And, uh, you know, and I'm not saying that, that I'm not doing things as an actor, you know, as I said, with the vocal delivery and the timing and all that stuff. And I, I, a lot of that can't be taught. Right. It's, it's, you know, you either, you either have it or you don't. But what can be taught, I think, is what I talked about, which is getting under the skin of the material, understanding what just happened, how do I feel, what do I want, focusing on the attend your intention, and then allowing the scene to happen to you. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, I think that's very, very usable by, uh, by actors uh, out there. A um, few more things on acting, and I want to get into martial arts because I have to. <laughs> so in terms, of, uh, in terms of acting and accents, um, you don't have an accent. Uh, you you are a one year old. Uh, well, I have a Canadian accent. I mean, okay. You don't have an Indian accent. Um, no. Which which just saying that an Indian accent. There are hundreds of languages in India. There are all there. Are how many dialects? When you choose an accent, I'm glad you went into kind of your process of choosing an accent based on you know who the person is and what it feels like. But um, and this this probably goes into a much wider area of. Uh, the types of roles that you're asked to play and when you were asked to play them. But um, when- Well, you know, like I said, I'm on these two shows. I have an accent in Kim's Convenience. I speak in my normal voice on Transplant. Good, good. Um, do you have, um, not that you have an issue with it, uh, but is there a part that says, I don't want to be typecast as the Indian guy? Um, just like in my case, uh, well, I think I think you, you you were right with I don't want to be typecast. Right. The Indian guy is is not on that doesn't bother me. It's the typecasting that that. So I don't want to be typecast, whatever that means, and it can mean it means different things for different people. Sure. Um, but you know, uh, and it's not even typecast. I mean, I've played twenty five doctors. Okay. So does that mean I'm typecast as a doctor? Maybe. But I'm happy to play 25 doctors and counting because, you know, the material is interesting and, and I don't mind being a doctor and it's an interesting role and, you know, whatever. Like it's not, so typecasting isn't even a, you know, an issue per se. It's stereotyping. Yeah. So not typecasting, but stereotype casting. I would draw the line at that. But, uh, you know, I think your question is about, well, do you want to play Indians or not? I mean, the reality is when I, in my career, in the era that I was working, I didn't have an option. I had to either choose to play an Indian character because if you weren't, um, if, if, you know, most of the time, if the character wasn't written as an Indian character, accent or not, they weren't calling me in to audition for it. Yeah. Uh, the industry defaults to white if they don't specify an ethnicity. Yeah. That's changing. But for the first 30 years of my professional career, the default was white. 
and you were not white if specified. And, and that was my reality. So I can choose to either go for the Indian character because it's the only one I'm up for or not work at all. So, I mean, I, I was going for those Indian characters. I mean, I would have a conversation whether it was a stereotype, I wouldn't do it. But, um, but for the most part, I, I always said, okay, the character is Indian. Is he an immigrant? Yes. Does he have to be an immigrant? Yes. Therefore, do he speaks with an accent? Yes. Okay, so then I apply the acting job of what kind of accent, what kind of, you know, all those yeah. things. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an acting exercise, and I have no problem with it. I'd rather they cast me than Howie Mandel. Yes, I agree with that. <laughs> um, the, the context from my perspective was <clears throat> uh, because you know, I'm a native Russian speaker, because I can do uh, a Russian accent, because I can do these Eastern European accents, you know, am I, should I use that as a springboard to get in and get more roles, but I don't want to be put in a place where I am viewed as that, oh, he's the Russian guy. Uh, I'm, I'm more, I want to be able to do all sorts of roles that don't require accents at all. I just don't think you should be um, turning down a Volkswagen because you want a Cadillac. I agree. And I don't, yeah. You know, like it's one part. So mm -hmm. you have to ask yourself, do I want to do that part? But saying, okay, is this then going to prevent me from getting other parts? Unlikely. Good. You know? Mm -hmm. What's, what it's going to do is probably get you a shot at other parts because you've got something on film, right? Your, your job, especially you're starting out, mm -hmm. is to work. Mm -hmm. get, get stuff done so that you get a reel together that, you know, gets you to the next level. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you will have, a, if you look at my, you can go to my IMDB and watch my current demo reel. I did. It's a bunch of different, characters some have accents some don't some have different act you know it's a it's a range i mean we get we get to play characters as actors and 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 that's what you want to do so I, I personally wouldn't get hung up on on the specter of being typecast uh, unless you know you unless it's a problem you're working all the time making sag scale as as the Russian mobster, and then you can say, okay, well, I don't want to do it anymore, but I don't know, it's not a bad job. All right, we'll, we'll revisit it, we'll see <laughs> at what point that happens. Um, I, I think I just, um, you know, having done indies and shorts and uh, having done three Russian guys at some point, I said, okay, I, I, I've done that. It's, it's essentially- yeah, But you know, in my case, I've done a lot of Indian guys. I mean, there's no way I'm gonna get around it. And I'm not gonna get to do the Russian guy, most likely. Yeah. Now, ironically, uh, uh, I was in a movie uh, playing a character that had a, it was a Russian or Polish or Ukrainian last name. Mm -hmm. uh, he was the, a city councilor. It was actually a movie I did with Paul, who stars in Kim's Convenience. We did it six months before we, did, we started doing Kim's Convenience, which is, I think, how our chemistry was so good on Kim's Convenience, because we'd already worked together. Good. And we spent a night in this movie outside improvising because the real scene was happening down the road. So we were just stuck in this place, improvising the scene between he was playing a cop, I was playing a drunk driver, I was a city councilor and I was yelling at him for stopping me. And I had this Polish or Russian or Ukrainian last name, I can't remember. And when I got to set, one of the stars of the movie said, you don't look like a Polak or whatever. I mean, he was being funny. Yeah. And I went, ah, it's my, my dad, my mom was Indian. 
And, you know, that's the story. Yep. Let's move on. You know what? And so I just, I just think we, get, we, we might be getting hung up on the politics of this more than the career aspects of it. And I personally think that work is work. You have to draw the line when it's a stereotype. You have to draw the line if it's abusive or if it's, you know, if it's just not something you want to, you're comfortable doing. And I totally understand and support that. And I have done that. But um, getting hung up on, well, you know, am I being typecast? I don't know if you can afford to have that conversation until it's a problem. Yeah, certainly not at that point or anywhere close to it. Thank you. Um, in terms of the Indian uh, speaking Russian, by the way, um, in, in my IT career, I did a class in Nashville and I was uh, talking to people and, you know, my, uh, this, uh, my background came up and I said where I was from. And then an Indian uh, uh, fellow started speaking better Russian than I do because he... Uh, of course. My, uh, my people are all over the world. They, you yeah. know, he, there's an old joke, you know, uh, uh, there's an old joke. Uh, what were the first words heard on the moon? One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Jai Wenham! Because there's an Indian guy waiting to sell Neil Armstrong tea. I mean, that's, that's uh, my people's joke. Yeah. Um, so, great. Uh, I think we've, uh, I have a lot more questions for you on the acting side, but uh, let's, let's get to the martial arts. You, uh, you're a black belt in, uh, in karate and um, kubudu, right? Uh, uh, I, have my second, I have my second dan in um, two different styles of karate, and I was the first Canadian to grade in my style in kubudo in Japan. So which, which style? And kubudo, just in case people are, are not aware, this is the weapons uh, uh, part. Yeah. So which, which style? Uh, it's, Joshin, it's Yoshinman Shorinru. Mm-hmm. Yoshinman, um, uh, in Yoshinman, you have both karate and kabuto. Once you hit about a blue belt or a black belt in mm-hmm. karate, you then start studying kabuto. Um, Yoshinman, um, my master passed away two or three years ago, but uh, until then he was a living master. Mm -hmm. And uh, so um, one of his senseis from Cuba immigrated to Toronto and that's how I started training with him. And that's when I learned that style. And then I traveled to Japan to train with um, uh, the the Soshi Han uh, a a couple of times. And and, uh, yeah, it's, it's been, you know, it's an interesting question you bring up because I find that martial arts was actually very useful uh, in terms of this career. Yeah, that's that's where I was going to go with that next of what you found that helps you uh, become a better actor. Well, um, you know, martial arts is warrior training. Mm-hmm. and And being a warrior, I think, is not a bad stance to have in going to through the arts as a as a career um doesn't mean that you're at war right it just means that you're prepared and you're prepared for the eventualities of whatever might come up so you're prepared in terms of your training and martial arts basically you spend most of your time training you don't spend your time fighting uh so so it's warrior training. I think that's a useful stance for an artist to have. Um, I think for men in particular, I think it's really useful because I know for me, there were things that I wasn't able to express appropriately in my 
life until I entered martial arts and, and there I was able to harness things that, you know, had an appropriate outlet in the, in the martial arts that wouldn't be appropriate elsewhere. So I think that's useful. I think it's useful for women for a very different reason because, you know, they get to be badass and make sure that they're not vulnerable to some asshole who's, you know, trying to, trying to hurt them. Um, and, uh, and the discipline, you know, of learning kata of, of, of respect, um, you know, respect is number one in martial arts, uh, uh, you know, mutual respect, respect for your teacher, um, all of that kind of pervades um, the, and, and the camaraderie that you develop training with the same group of people in a dojo, that applies when you work in the arts. You know, uh, you, you become a family in a dojo. In a, in a play, you're a family. In a movie, you're a family. In a television show, you're a family, an instant family. And the, and the ability to recognize and respect each other's position in that family and, and, and to honor it and to work together for the common goal, that's all martial arts teaches you. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it's, it, it was a great, a great thing for me to have that, uh, and, and, and make those connections, uh, in my professional life. Thank you. Um, just out of curiosity, because <laughs> I want to know, uh, who's your favorite, uh, martial artist, uh, in the acting uh, world? Um, uh, I, I like Jet Li because I think he's a good actor yeah. and I like Don, I like Donnie Ewan. I think he's a really good actor. Yeah. I mean, the uh, martial arts skills go without saying. Yes, absolutely. For both of those. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, Chan, I, Jackie Chan, I thought is fun, but I don't think he's as good an actor as the other two. So, yeah. you know. But he, he, he has his own niche. He's, he wasn't trying to be, I'm a great actor. He's just, right. you're, you're having fun and you have these incredible movies and he found something that he was uh, amazing at. So. Yeah. Um, Scott Atkins and Michael J. White, uh, those, those are the two that I love uh, right now. Yeah. I, I grew up on, uh, obviously, Bruce, and I grew up on uh, Van Damme. I started doing splits uh, between the chairs just because of Van Damme. So that was kind of my entry into martial arts. I, I don't have that flexibility. I'm still working. Yeah, I don't either anymore. I, I used to. Um, okay, last, uh, as we wrap up, um, I, I asked this question to uh, all of the actors uh, that we have on. What is the one advice that you would give to a younger uh, acting version of yourself? Um, a younger acting version of myself? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I would say to trust, trust the material and trust yourself 100% uh, of the time. Mm -hmm. And if you're wrong, um, move on. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Um, it's been a more than uh, enlightening uh, conversation. Um, I really appreciate you stopping in. I really appreciate uh, you sharing your approach and um, why you're uh, kind of uh, coming to that uh, perspective. It's uh, incredibly useful. And I know that our viewers really, really appreciate it.
Thank you. So well, much. thank you. It's been a, it's fun been talking to you. So I, I hope I hope it was useful. Absolutely, it was. You're welcome to come back anytime. I have uh, you know I have a few pages of notes. Some of the questions I was able to use, uh, uh, a lot of them I was not. So I look forward to speaking to you. You should have shut me up. I would have answered more questions. You just uh, yeah. Let me um, know. Let's let's do part two. We'll we'll record a part two, and I get a chance to go into some other aspects. I would love that. Okay, anytime. Uh, and thank you to everybody who's uh, who's tuning in. Uh, we were speaking with Sujith Varghese. I pronounced that name correctly the second time around. See, take two. Um, and uh, come back. So if you like uh, what you've seen, if you have any questions, please post them in the comments. Uh, share, subscribe. You know the drill. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, Alan.